institutions in society. In 2007, the chairman of a Wall Street company gave a talk at a conference, and the conference was on um, business practices in the regulatory environment, and, and uh, he addressed that topic, and somebody asked him about, well, illegal practices on Wall Street, and he said that it was virtually impossible to violate uh, rules because of the regulations and all the, the rules today. That was 2007, and that person was Bernie Madoff who said that. And at the time, he was operating the largest Ponzi scheme in history, cheating his clients out of billions of dollars. And he later confessed that his whole business was built on a lie. And it was a lie that hurt a lot of people. Jesus calls us, his disciples, to honesty and integrity of speech. This is part of what it means to be salt and light. Remember, he says that that is who we are as his disciples. We are salt and light. We bring the light of God into a dark world, and we help to stave off the corruption of the world as we follow God. We are called to reflect something of the character and the nature of God in our life. And one way that we do that is through honesty. Because God keeps his word. God keeps his promises. So let's look at the teaching of Jesus. And um, as we have gone through the Sermon on the Mount, we have found it important to Go back to the Old Testament because Jesus is, is bringing out the implications of the Old Testament law. And then also it's been important for us to talk about the context of first century Judaism, what people were doing in Jesus' day in a way to kind of escape the implications of the law, to work their way around it, as it were, to satisfy their own standard of righteousness rather than the righteousness of God. And so we see this pattern where Jesus will say, you have heard it said of old, but I say to you this. And we see that pattern here again today in our passage. That's printed in your bulletin on page 10, Matthew 5:33. He begins this way. Again, you have heard it that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Well, the background to this are, is it's several scriptures in the Old Testament. Of course, part of it has to do with the Ten Commandments. There are two commandments in, in the Ten Commandments that, that address this issue of honesty and integrity. The first is... You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The third commandment. What does it mean to take the name of the Lord in vain? Well, part of what it means is, is to, to say, well, I swear to God X. And you use the name of God, you invoke the name of God to, to cloak your own dishonesty, to give credibility to your own 
dishonesty. It's a false oath. So part of the application of the third commandment is you shall not take false oaths in the name of God. You do not invoke God's name. You don't call in God as a witness and and, and then bear false witness. So that's part of what it means to take the name of the Lord your God in vain. It's also a commandment against hypocrisy because it could be translated, you shall not bear the name of the Lord your God in vain or you shall not carry the name of the Lord your God in vain. This is saying you should not identify yourself with God and his people in a dishonest and hypocritical way. You shall not bear the name of the Lord your God in vain. This would be like a business person who joins a church, but he or she is not really a Christian. They are identifying, they're taking on the name of Christ, but they don't believe in Christ but they're only doing it to expand their business in the community. That would be an example of bearing the name of the Lord in vain, taking upon his name in vain. Or a minister who identifies, of course, as a Christian minister, but teaches things that are contrary to the very words of Christ. That would be an example of hypocrisy, of bearing the name of the Lord in vain. So the third commandment warns against this of identifying with God or taking his name or using his name in a dishonest way. And then we have also this commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, that is not a prohibition about lying or against lying in general. There are other scriptures that talk about lying and how that falls short of God's standard. But this is about falsely accusing somebody. And the context here, I think in particular, is a legal proceeding. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not accuse your neighbor of false things in the context of A legal proceeding. This is about honesty in court. Honesty in matters of justice. So these two commandments are key texts when it comes to this issue of honesty. And then there are several Old Testament passages that talk about making a vow to God. Or an oath to God. And it warns people not to make a rash vow to God because God takes such vows seriously. So Numbers 30 says this, if a man vows to the Lord or swears by an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. If you swear to the Lord, make a vow or an oath to the Lord, God says he takes that very seriously. Now, it's often in the context of trouble or distress That somebody will say, Lord, if you get me out of this, I will do such and such for you. I read the book, and maybe you read the book about Louis Zapparini. Read the book or saw the movie. I think it was called Unbroken. Is that right? And um, in in that book, uh, Zapparini was a World War II uh, pilot. 
and then he became an Olympian, um, or maybe he was Olympian before and a World War II pilot afterwards, but he was shot down in his service to the country, and he spent time in the ocean in a raft. I think it was over 40 days with some other people, and, and he's dehydrating, and he's starving, and he's fighting off sharks, and he made a vow to the Lord. And he said, Lord, if you get me out of this, I will serve you the rest of my life. And so that's an example. Now, in Zapparini's case, when he got home, he forgot about the vow or he left the Lord behind for a little bit in his life until he went to a Billy Graham crusade and he heard the gospel being preached and he remembered his vow to the Lord and he was convicted about keeping his word. And he did serve the Lord after that. But that's an example of such vow making. And the Lord says, if you make a vow to him, that you ought to take it seriously. When you invoke the name of God, we're not to swear by God's name or use God's name in any flippant or casual way. Now, that was the teaching of the Old Testament. And by the time you get to Jesus's day, people were finding ways to use their speech to gain credibility, but to circumvent this whole idea of swearing on God's name. And they thought by doing this, by bringing in substitutes for God, that they were not as liable to God for the way that they talked. So they were not making vows or promises in the name of God, but rather they were saying, by heaven, or by earth, or by Jerusalem, or maybe even by their own heads. I swear by Jerusalem I will do such and such. I swear by my own head that I'm telling the truth. And again, the reason they did this is they wanted to get out from underneath the judgment of God and, and the liability of making an oath to God. And they didn't think that they would be as responsible to God for such speech. And Jesus says, wait a second. Wait a second. Everything in creation belongs to God. It's all related to him. You are under God all the time. He is your creator. And everything in creation is related to God. Heaven is his throne. Jerusalem is his footstool. And you're not even able to control the hairs on your head. You cannot make one hair white or black. This was, this was before hair coloring. But the point Jesus is making here is you can't control the aging process. You can't control your life. Your life is in God's hand, ultimately. One of my kids said a couple of weeks ago, they came into the living room, and I was sitting there reading a book or something, and she came up and said, Dad, why is your hair gray? Because I'm old. I'm getting older. Can't control it. Our life is ultimately in God's hands. God is in charge of everything. God is in charge of creation. You can't escape him. So instead of swearing on this or that, Jesus says, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything more than that comes from evil or the evil one. If you're a person of integrity and honesty, then then your word should be enough for people. And that's what Jesus wants his disciples to be. Those kinds of people. Now, 
does this teaching mean that a Christian should never, ever, under any circumstances, swear an oath? That's been a question that's been debated in the Christian tradition. When a Christian is in the court of law and is called upon to witness and asked to swear that they will tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help them God. Should a Christian say, well, I can't do that on the grounds of my conscience? Well, I think a Christian can do that, and there are alternatives to swearing or pledging an oath in the name of God in our court system. There are some Christian groups like the Quakers who have said, you cannot ever make an oath in court or in any other circumstance based on this passage. Other denominations in the mainstream tradition teaches that it is okay to swear an oath in certain contexts, especially in matters of justice. And that's where the Anglican tradition comes down, by the way. If you're familiar with our, our document that is a statement of our beliefs, the 39 articles of religion, the very last article of religion is on this issue of oath-taking. It's a big issue in the 16th century. And in that article, it says that uh, when it comes to matters of justice, you can swear an oath. And they give examples, those who hold to this position give examples in the New Testament. For example, in Matthew 26, 26, when Jesus is before the high priest, he is, he is under an oath when he testifies. So he's under an oath and he doesn't reject that. He goes forward with his testimony. And there are places in Paul's writings where he, he says, he, he calls God as a witness to bolster his credibility with the churches. So it seems to me that there are some exceptions here. Again, I think particularly in the matters of justice. But the point and the distinction I would make is Jesus is saying this, when it comes to our personal relationships, our yes should be yes and our no should be no. In other words, we should be the kind of people that people can count on our word. That's what we should pursue the disciples don't need to add promises and oaths to their words because they're committed to honesty and integrity before god and others now if we're being honest we know that this is often a temptation to twist the truth to shade the truth to leave things out to our own advantages to to say that we'll do something with not a great deal of intent when it comes to following up and underneath those Little lies and empty promises is often not only sort of self-centered motive, but a lack of faith in God, a lack of trust in God. That's underneath so much of our sin. Ultimately, that is the sin, is to not trust in God. I'll give you an example. This is an illustration from one of Tim Keller's books. He talks about a 27-year-old, we'll call him Stephen, who was given an opportunity to move to a, a larger company. And as he was, Stephen was negotiating his salary, he decided that he was going to inflate his present salary just a little bit, just by 4%. Why? Because his employer wanted to know how much he was making, or his prospective employer wanted to know, how much are you making at your current job? And he thought, well, if I up it just about 4 or 5%, then they will at least meet what I say I currently am making, and I'll give myself a little raise. Um, and he justified that. He, he said, this 
new job that he was taking didn't give him as much vacation time. So he just said the value of that is this 4%. And so it all shakes out and, and in the end. And, and he also thought to himself, everybody else probably does this. And so there's nothing really greatly wrong with inflating my current salary to make more at the next job. Well, what do you think? This little lie. Stephen began to think about it, and he's a, he's, a, he's a Christian, so he begins to think about this, and, and he realizes, and as he shares the story now, Keller says that a real breakthrough in his thinking happened when he realized that the desire for just a little more money would so easily cause him to forsake his integrity. Just a little more money, and he would forsake his integrity for that. And he began to think, well, if I do this, then the next slide is going to get easier. And if I do this and people find out about it and I'm a Christian, what about my witness? And what about my example? And what sort of effect will that have on the culture? What if everybody did this? I've got a little book that I read to my son, Sam, and that's the title of the book. What if everybody did that? And there's examples of people littering and a kid eating a cake at the wedding reception. He dives in and takes just a little piece. And then there's pictures of, well, what if everybody did that and the cake is destroyed? And the point is those little lies that we, little things, these half-truths that we tell erode trust in society and culture and our witness. And so I ask you the question that I've asked myself this week, and I've been convicted of some things that I need to work on with God's help. Are there areas in your life in this area of honesty, of speech and integrity that you need to grow in, of keeping your word? Is there a habit of speech that you need to repent of in light of the teaching of Christ? Jesus calls us to this because we as his disciples are to reflect something of his character. And the character of our God, the God who has saved us, is that he keeps his word. He makes promises, and then he makes good on those promises. God relates to us through his word, and that's what we have to go on. And our hope is in his word and in his promises. We read about that with the story of Abraham. God makes a promise to Abraham that through him, through Abraham, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And Abraham believed that promise. And based on Abram's faith in the promises of God, God credited to him as righteous. Abram was righteous in the eyes of God, not based on his works, Paul is saying, but based on his trust in what? The promises of God, the word of God. And that promise that God made Abraham, that through you all nations would be blessed, that promise has come true in Christ. Because Jesus is from the line, ultimately, of Abraham. And through this promise fulfilled in Christ, nations of the world have been blessed with the salvation that God has given. God keeps his promises. All of his promises. And that is our hope. That is our hope for the future. That is our hope 
for the present, that God is a promise-keeping God. As we come to the table this morning, remember that we come to a God who has kept and will keep all of his promises. And he has sealed those promises with the blood of his own son, Jesus Christ. And that includes the promise of the forgiveness of all of our sins, including in this area of speech. And so we can be honest with God and come before his presence and say, Lord, I'm failing in this area. I repent. And we have the promise of forgiveness and we have the promise of his divine help through the Holy Spirit. Help me to grow in the fruit of the Holy Spirit through this. So today, come with gratitude, brothers and sisters, that you are coming to a promise-keeping God and ask for the grace to keep your word to the honor of his name. Amen.